You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, this chapter is of Musketeer Space, which is our current serial, uh, I'm quite excited because this is uh, this is the Flood Lee chapter. One of my things that I am ridiculously obsessed with doing is inventing fictional sports in my stories. I really love doing it almost as much as I like inventing made-up books and TV shows for my characters to geek over. Uh, this one, I came up with it because I love the idea of a sport that was specific to space-going people and it had lots of kind of French and musketeer-specific references through it. And then I somehow managed to write myself a whole game. And that's what we have in this chapter. So that's something for you to look forward to. Musketeer Space, Chapter 16, Sankafoil for Beginners. A week after the events that Dana D'Artagnan had mentally filed away as that night, she came off a double transport shift at Paris Satellite to find Athos waiting for her at the gate. He tilted his head at her expectantly. She'd been avoiding him, and he knew it. I am so sorry, Dana blurted out when she got close enough to speak. Athos shook his head, took her arm, and hauled her along the concourse, heading for Marie Antoinette Esplanade. Not here. Practice rooms. Dana knew discretion was necessary, but it was all she could do to stop herself from rolling out a dozen more apologies between here and their destination. Finally, they reached the entertainment hub, where Athos paid for a rec space with a credit swipe of his stud. Only when they were inside the sleek and empty white practice room did Dana realise that he had more than one baton hanging from his belt. What was the plural of a pilot's slice? You want to fence, she asked, as he tossed the second baton to her and stripped off his musketeer jacket. Porthos said you'd keep avoiding me until I let you get some stuff off your chest, and I thought that sounded like a waste of time. But she's generally right about these things. He frowned at her. At least this way, we'll be doing something productive. Dana scowled. Porthos should keep her nose out of everyone else's business. See, D'Artagnan, this is why you and I are friends. Athos called up a screen in the wall and tapped a few print commands into it. Did you get fitted for the practice gear I told you about? You need your own pattern to print from. I haven't had time. He rolled his eyes at her. Preventing bruises saves on many patches. Make the time. This will do for now. Athos's own fencing jacket, pre-programmed into the system, printed first. A generic woman's jacket followed, which he tossed to her. He'd ordered water bottles and towels too. By next time you'll need your own strip and mask. For now... Concentrate on not stabbing me in the face, and I'll resist the urge to do the same. We won't go at full speed. Dana did not retort that she might have been better prepared for this session if he'd given her any warning. 
They both knew that if he hadn't sprung this on her, she might have kept dodging him for at least another week. I'll do my best, she said, struggling into the stiff jacket. She had hoped for a lie-down and some dinner at the end of her shift. But she knew better than to argue with Athos in a mood like this. Besides, she owed him. Stop looking at me like you drowned my pet, he snapped, setting his own pilot slice to the thinnest, lighter setting, with a blunted tip. The smart metal was springy that way, best for practice bouts. When Porthos played blades with Dana, she encouraged her to go for a heavier weight of sword, but Athos was all about technique. Athos, you went to prison for me. Dana wouldn't even have known about it if Aramis hadn't let it slip. Athos was furious that Aramis opened her mouth and promptly stormed out of the bar where they'd been drinking. Dana had been too embarrassed to look him in the eye ever since. Hardly prison, he scoffed, doing a few experimental lunges with the sword. The holding cell at the armory is an old friend of mine. I was only there a day or so, and it gave me a chance to catch up on the newest graffiti. Are you ready? Just about. Dana stretched first. Last time she'd allowed Athos to lead her in a little light sword practice. She'd spent a whole evening massaging painful cramps out of her calves. Athos never did anything lightly. He was waiting for her now, sword at the ready. They began with a few gentle taps, measuring distance, watching each other. Besides, Athos said finally, I didn't do it for you. I did it to piss off the cardinal. There wasn't much time to talk, not with his sword flicking at her, and Dana mustering up all her concentration to accept the lesson for what it was. If fencing was a conversation, then Athos had all the nouns, adjectives and verbs. It was all Dana could do to grab the occasional punctuation mark. Whenever she failed to defend herself against one of his moves, he stopped and checked himself, then did it again, at half or quarter speed, so she could work out what she could or should have done to counter it. This is so much better than talking about our feelings, Dana said breathlessly, when they paused to slug water from freshly printed bottles. Don't tell Porthos, said Athos, with half a grin. Damn it, did Admiral Treville really go to the Regents herself to get you freed? He shrugged with one shoulder, wiping the back of his neck with a towel. Someone had to. The bastards were keeping me out of the system, so there was no trace of my ID. Treville trusted Aramis and Porthos's word that they had you in the armory. Athos reached out and tapped Dana on the nose with his fingertip. Treville may be scary as all fuck, but she's loyal to her pilots, and she knows we wouldn't bullshit her about anything really important. Remember that, D'Artagnan. She's worth letting into your confidence if you've anything worth protecting. No one is more loyal to the Crown, or the Solar System, or the Musketeers, than our Admiral Treville. Dana hesitated but nodded. Athos didn't trust many people, so this was worth knowing. So Treville marched into the palace and interrupted the regents at her morning chocolate. With guess who? 
Dana laughed at that, a sudden shout of noise in the muffled practice room. I bet that went down well. The Cardinal knows which side her bread is buttered on. She's always the first to suggest that her enemies be forgiven. It's the dart she slips in while agreeing with everyone that poisons the trough. Athos flexed his sword a few more times. Ready for another bout? It doesn't count as forgiving me if you take it out of my body in sweat and blood, Dana protested, but she dropped her water bottle to the floor and headed into the centre of the space again, sword in hand. Nothing to forgive, he told her. But if you haven't got a touch on me three times by the end of this session, I expect you to grovel. They threw themselves back into it. Flick and slide, parry, defend, lunge, and endless footwork drills. This must be what it would be like to have a brother, Dana thought, as Athos corrected her stance for the fourth time, literally kicking her feet into the proper position. She grinned stupidly at him. He looked confused, then prodded her in the pit of her stomach with the blunt tip of his sword. Again, do better. Aramis pounced on them both when they emerged from the practice room, sweaty and exhausted. Kidnapping you, she announced, flinging an arm around Athos's shoulder and making a face at him. Ugh, so wet, blah! Can we go back to my place and shower before the kidnapping? Athos asked, butting her with his damp head. Aramis squirmed and kept him at arm's distance. Ugh, yes, though that is against the philosophy of kidnapping, so I may insist on a forfeit. What are we doing now? Dana gave in to the inevitable that her time would not be her own until the next work shift. Who needed sleep and food anyway? Aramis shook her wrist, calling up three virtual tickets that glowed in the air before them and then disappeared back into her credit stud. Sankafoil, she howled. Serpentine versus the mouses. It's going to be brutal. I would, said Athos calmly. Actually rather eat glass. I know, darling. That's why it means so much to us that you're going to overcome your appalling bias against the game of gods and join us, said Aramis. Porthos has royal escort duty, which means three tickets going begging. Luckily, there are three of us right here. Give mine to Grimaud. She has her own. You bought her a season ticket to the Mouses last joyeux. "'because you are a selfless and thoughtful person, "'and she would have dumped your ass years ago "'if you didn't come through with the bribes.' "'I'm beginning to regret the error of my generosity,' said Athos. "'Aramis ignored him, as she so often did. "'Dana, you in?' "'Dana had not managed to see a game of Sankafoil in Paris so far. "'Porthos's preferences were firmly for fleur-de-lis. "'Athos's distaste made her... All the more curious. Of course, she said. You'll regret it, Athos warned. And you have spent far too long in your own company lately, my friend, said Aramis lightly, her eyes back on him. Did you think we wouldn't notice? Athos strode ahead, avoiding her steady gaze. Fine, at least with all the blood spatter and inane commentary. I won't be expected to make conversation with either of you. So what you're saying is, I win, Aramis called after him. 
then winked at Dana. I usually win. Here we are, back for the local derby. Both of Paris Satellite's homegrown teams facing off for the first time this season. That's Serpentin in green and white, and the Mousers in grey. Your commentary team today is myself, Charlemagne Artois, sitting alongside three-time Solar Cup winner, René Olymp. How are you this evening, champ? I'm excited, Artois. It's always a grudge match between these two teams, but you only have to look at the lineup to know this is going to be a tough game. Serpentin are playing their brand-new chevalier, Thierry Degas, only months after his controversial transfer back from the Freedom League, who poached him from the Mousers themselves two seasons ago for a record transfer sum of 28 million credits. Yes, Alamp, you can see from the banners that the Mousers fans are still furious that their former captain returned to Paris only to sign up with their most fierce local rivals. And the team aren't any happier about it. Even before gameplay begins, the current captain and chevalier of the Mousers, Samir Olivier, has refused to include Degas in his pole salute. That's quite a snub. Who can blame him, Artois? Olivier was one of the many young players who came up through the youth club with Degas, and it's always a blow to find out that your heroes care more for financial incentive than team loyalty. Not that I'm bitter, as a long-time Mousers fan myself. Not that you're biased either, Alamp. Of course I'm biased, Artois. The Mousers are the best team in the Solar League. Five years without winning the cup suggests otherwise. And it's kick-off! Thirty seconds into the game, Dana conceded Athos's point about Sankafoil. This was the most distressing spectator sport she had ever witnessed. There was a controlled chaos to fleur de -lis, a dance between the jousters and their opponents. There was technique and skill, a fierce elegance to the whole thing. Sankafoil appeared to have no formal rules. The large zero-gravity tank, the same size as was used for the other game, was surrounded on all sides by the audience stands. The higher up you were, the more you could see of the game. And because everyone sat about 30 centimetres from the plexiglass walls of the tank, it was entirely possible for a player to crash into the wall right in front of your face, blood spiralling out in tiny floating globes. That's a beautiful leap from Henri of the Mousers. He's got a fierce turn of speed of him as he propels himself directly into the path of Valentine. Always up the north side, of course, but even when they know it's coming, he's... And it's first blood in the fourth quadrant, with both Serpentin uh, Pole attacks making a vicious double play against Bradamante. She's made of nails, that player. It's like she hasn't even noticed that her nose is broken. Look at that shoulder work as she shoves Valentine directly into Lola Chang's path and... Oh, that has to hurt! Dana considered herself tough. But she had her hands half covering her face for most of the game. Athos was several drinks ahead of the rest of them, having started well before they even reached their seats. Aramis, the optimist of the three genuinely enjoyed the vicious mechanics of the game. Or she had. Right up to the moment she had spotted Captain Tracy Dubois sitting in a private box with her husband on the far side of the tank. Porthos might have lightened the mood, but she was in full uniform on duty near the royal box, from which the regents and prince consort viewed the spectacle, accompanied by several friends and ministers. 
Dana realised that the stately older woman who sat to one side of the regents in a plum-coloured gown was the cardinal herself. She did not look especially religious, though there was a chilly gravity to her. Dana shivered for a moment when the cardinal looked in her direction. The last thing she wanted was that kind of attention. Believe me, Artois, a broken nose hurts just as much in zero gravity as it does anywhere else, but don't take your eyes off the second quadrant, where Olivier has kicked his way past the pole challengers of Saint-Gerard and Serpentine Captain Millefleur. I think we know where he's going, don't we? Millefleur isn't going to let her chevalier get grabbed that easily. Look at her hauling Olivier back down into third quadrant and away from his target. And she's used both hands, that's a foul! Meanwhile, Angelique, the angel Anjou, has just used Saint-Gerard as ballast to rocket herself halfway across the tank, and she's the first of the mousers to get a tip challenge on Degas. They're in formal jousting mode now, jetpacks engaged, and oh, that's nasty! Dana could not stop glancing over at the royal box, not only because it kept her eyes averted from the upsetting violence of the Sankerfoil, but because Conrad was there, in a bright sky-blue jacket that matched his hair. He sat with the prince, the two of them watching the game avidly, pointing out every move and player to each other with grins and laughter. Aramis dropped her head to Dana's shoulder, nursing her wounded heart from seeing Dubois on such good terms with her husband. Even in a morose state, she was far too observant. I hope it's not the prince that you can't take your eyes off, little one, she said in a low voice, her mouth brushing Dana's ear. We only just finished cleaning up the last scandal in the making. Dana elbowed her, turning her eyes back to the game, just as two serpentine players slammed themselves hard against the mouser captain, one from above and one from below. The entire audience sucked in a sympathetic breath in unison, and the Mouser supporters around Dana and the others started booing and yelling angrily, some of them physically banging their hands on the tank in protest. Of course not, Dana hissed back at Aramis. Don't even think things like that. Aramis chuckled to herself. Such pretty men, these new aristocrats. Not my type, of course, but I see the appeal. Can you stop right now? I'm only teasing Dana. I know it's the tailor you have eyes for. I hate you! Dana slumped lower in her chair. Aramis reached over her shoulders to catch Athos's attention by smacking him on the head. Athos! Athos! Dana likes a boy! They grow up so fast, Athos said without missing a beat. Though he was ordering another drink and wasn't properly listening. Is the game over yet? Quarter time, said Aramis as the whistle went, and the players retreated to have the worst of their wounds bandaged. Give me strength. The second quarter was just as vicious, with both teams down to four players each by the end of it, and at least four poles swapped out due to breakages. The zero-gravity well inside the tank had to be sluiced with air pressure to remove all the globules of blood and floating splinters before the next round. Athos wasn't interested in anything but drinking, and Aramis continued to dart searching looks at Dubois and her husband, so 
It was down to Dana to fetch supplies from the noodle stand down on the main deck. She returned with her hands full of damp paper containers and egg rolls to find that the audience had quietened down to hear a royal speech. Just in time, Aramis groaned, snatching at the food. I will bury my heartbroken melancholy in sticky prawns. There aren't enough sticky prawns in the world to bury your heartbreaks, Athos drawled. They hushed as the regent stood and began her speech. Dana was impressed all over again by the regent's grace and beauty. Lala Louise, Regent's Royale, had an extraordinary public presence, her charisma shining out of her face. It was easy to see how she had won the propaganda battle, and why the people believed every promise that she made to hold the system together, instead of allowing it to fracture into a series of planetary rulerships. You should know, my people, that I would never lie to you, she said. Her low and melodic voice picked up and piped into every chair, every comm channel, so it was as if she spoke directly into every row of seats. Many of my advisers suggested that I deny the rumours that have arisen in recent days, rumours that the sun-kissed are on the move, and that recent provincial attacks might well be the work of our old enemy. Dana felt the reactions of Aramis on one side of her and Athos on the other. Their backs straightened, their chins lifted. There was attention to them, as if they were about to be called to arms. No matter the distress and panic it may cause, I need you to know that I trust you all with this knowledge. If the sun-kissed try to march against us again, let them come, for we are strong. Strong in faith and strong in arms. The sabres, the musketeers, the mecha squads, the red hammers, regardless whether they are royal fleet or church fleet, all serve the crown and the solar system. We will always defeat those who test our faith, whether they come from within or without our own species. The cardinal stood with the regents, and the prince consort on her other side. It was a powerful image of unity and strength. Dana felt something soft drift past her shoulder blades, and realised that Aramis had reached around her, one hand brushing lightly against the back of Athos's neck. His eyes bore fiercely into the regents and her supporters. Had they fought against the sun-kissed in the war? It ended eight years ago. Dana did not know how long it was since her friends had joined the musketeers. They could have been in the service, fighting against the aliens who almost destroyed the solar system. Athos's hands trembled. Dana pretended not to notice. The regents lightened the mood with a joke and a merry smile. The audience relaxed around her, responding to her upbeat tone. Because cheer is as important in times of peace and faith as it was in our darker times, I have a joyful announcement to share with all of Paris, the regents announced. At her eminence's suggestion, we are to hold a ball for my wedding anniversary to my beloved Prince Alec. 
she squeezed her husband's hand and smiled adoringly at him. It shall be televised live to the populace, and I am sure you will be greatly entertained by our frivolities and our costumes. The theme is diamonds and peacocks. Dana spat out a mouthful of her drink. Athos automatically confiscated her cup and swallowed half of its contents. The royal couple were besieged by applause and well-wishers, as their assorted hangers-on demonstrated their pleasure at the idea of a ball. Reporters were let loose to ask questions about which celebrities were expected to attend. The prince consort's smile, however warm it was in the presence of his wife, lacked something as he turned away from her. The cams captured his faltering face, throwing it up on the larger screens. Conrad, sitting right next to the prince, looked as if his world had ended. Damn it all, Dana murmured beneath her breath. Aramis and Athos turned to her. Trouble? asked Athos, as if a distraction was exactly what he needed. Dana nodded. It couldn't be a coincidence. The regents or the cardinal or both of them knew about the peacock coat and the diamond studs and the Duchess of Buckingham. Trouble, she said grimly, but I don't think there's anything we can do to stop it now. Haven't you heard? said Aramis lightly, tossing a food carton from hand to hand as if there had been no discussion at all today of aliens and war and a possible return to the darkest time their people had ever faced. We're musketeers. Trouble is what we do best. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.